Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 the forward. Boom, 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 the yellow card. Hello there, you're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Oma Devon and Ken Early. Hello, Owen, how are you? I'm good because Ireland are marching inevitably towards a spot at Euro 2016 after Monday's win against Georgia. You were there, Ken, to witness one of the great Irish football occasions. It was, uh, well, look, it wasn't the worst match I've seen. Uh, Ireland playing the last in the last while. First half wasn't good. No. First half there was a, there was a lot of grumbling and discontent. I remember the guy in the lift, um, the guy in the press lift, and you, well, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I've said too much. Oh, okay. But look, even the guy in the lift was, like, you know, Jesus. Who's the guy in the lift? The guy who works the lift, the press oh, lift. Yeah. Oh yeah. You see, okay, it's, there's only one guy who does that. So look, I'm sorry if I'm getting you in trouble here, but let's just. I'm not going to say what he, exactly okay. what he said, but what I can say is that he. He was pretty worried about what was going to happen if Ireland didn't manage to win in that second half. And, you know, because I was talking to him at halftime and he said, if we don't win in that second half. Oh, you've said too much again. And I won't say that he made a motion where he drew his finger across his throat in a, in a sort of slitting motion. <laughs> but it was something along those lines. He didn't think, he thought that the road ahead was about to become a rocky one for Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, the dream team, if uh, we didn't beat Georgia. But we did. Yeah. And uh, the goal was created by Jeff Hendrick. Brilliant piece of play by him. And John Walters gone in there uh, where it counted to scuff it into the net. And John Walters is, has, is emerging now as the kind of um, the top man in the team. Oh, I love John Walters. It's, it's interesting, actually. <clears throat> I mean, the, Walters is, is, is uh, you watch it sometimes and you think, I wish you were just a little bit faster. Yeah, you know it's I mean? true. How amazing would he be if he was fast? He is a great kind of diesel player yeah. who continues to go the whole game, puts in an unbelievable effort. And, and technically isn't a bad player, actually. I mean, look, you saw what he did to set up the Robbie Keane goal against yeah. Gibraltar. You know, that was a great piece of technique, regardless of the fact that it was against uh, Gibraltar. He does a lot of good things, you know. He he, and he usually a lot of smart is doing well. the right decision. But yeah, the 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 pace. And let's not even talk negatively. It's a pause. It's all positive about Johnny Walters after two man of the match displays. Yeah, he's 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 very good. He's uh, having really good influence on the team. And it was interesting also Martin O'Neill praising him afterwards. 
What was interesting, I thought, was that Martin O'Neill, um, essentially, obviously, his big move was taking off Robbie Keane at half time. And at half time, I was thinking, is he going to actually do something here? He ha- he has to do something. Um, but oftentimes, the manager will say, I'll give it another 10 minutes, see how it goes, you know, maybe talk to him, see what's up, with, see what's eating those guys. And then maybe hopefully 10 minutes time, then maybe start making changes. But no, he made the change immediately. He's like, I, can't, I actually can't risk not making a change. Take Robbie Keane off. That must have really stung. Um, put Shane Long on. Immediately Shane Long is making an impact. He's like tearing around the field. He's winning the ball. He's hustling defenders into mistakes. This is the kind of stuff Shane Long does for you, you know, which Robbie Keane does, can't do anymore. Um, and, that, and afterwards... When the dailies, uh, daily newspapers were talking to Martin O'Neill, uh, one of the journalists said, I mean, O'Neill had essentially had said, Robbie lacks energy. He, you know, he's not getting any younger. You know what I mean? Adding to that thing about him being closer to 37 than... The 37. Oh, I just wish he's 27 instead of closer to 37. <laughs> he's not 37. He's not even 36. But uh, usually if a manager makes a change like that and the player that he's brought on... In, it obviously makes a positive impact quickly. Mm. The manager isn't necessarily always, oh, by the way, did you all see that I brought on that guy and, and it worked out really well? That was a good substitution by me? He's not necessarily going to do that. That's too obvious. But if a journalist says, you know, uh, Shane Long, when he came on, really did uh, contribute maybe to that urgency, that added energy and urgency that we had in the second half, didn't he? You know, expecting O'Neill to to say, well, you know, if if, if you say so, I guess Shane Long did have a quite a good impact. Maybe it wasn't a bad decision by me. Usually managers don't sidestep credit when it's offered up to them like that. But O'Neill did. He said, well, no, I think it was all down to John Walters, really. He said, uh, John Walters, he was the catalyst for a lot of it. He's such a top, 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 center forward, you know. I don't know about John Walters. I thought, this is weird. You know, he doesn't want to say anything nice about Shane Long. It's like he very deliberately avoided. Really? Yeah, I thought so, yeah. I think it's his, it's his Why way is of... Why that? Shane Long's hardy doesn't strike you as the biggest-headed player ever who needs to be taken down a peg or two. In fact, he needs to be given confidence, I thought. I think Shane Long maybe needs to... Maybe needs a little bit of... Martin O'Neill thinks he, he maybe is a player a bit like Martin O'Neill. When Martin O'Neill played for uh, Nottingham Forest, Brian Clough never praised him. Mm-hmm. Really, really made him annoyed. Really angered him. So the effect of it was that he went out playing every time to try and, in desperate... Um, in this desperate quest to win the approval and praise of Brian Clough, who would always withhold it from him. And Clough thought that this was the best way to handle a player like Martin O'Neill. You know, I mean, eventually, I suppose, it became obvious that he did respect him. He respected him as a man and as a footballer. Uh, But he certainly didn't think that the the way to get good performances out of him was to praise him all the time. And it seems like something similar is going on with Shane Long. I'm not suggesting it's, you know, we've been starving and beating him, singing off-key... But, you know, it's it's not a million miles away from that. But, you know, Shane Long came on, and to me, he did look as though he had something to prove. And he did play with that kind of added edge. And if he's doing that, then that's good. I need you to report on some sport, please. That's it. Well, um, moving aside from international football, well, no, not yet, because Jack Grealish is one of the big stories today. We'll talk to Richie Sadler about this. Uh, Richie's going to be in a bit, but um, Jack Grealish is going to declare for England before the next round of international so it's beginning next month according to Sam Wallace uh, who has uh, who I think has reasonable sources on the story and ha- has been saying this for a little while now that's been his expectation 
that this is the way things were going to go. And it looks as though it may about to be about to happen, uh, which I suppose would be disappointing. It would be. My, my only reticence about delving right into this story, which I'll be able to shackle uh, pretty soon. I can get rid of that reticence again, don't worry. We'll talk about it. It's just that it is one journalist, and I've seen other journalists write in the past that he's definitely going to play for Ireland. If what you is- remember, when, we, uh, when Tim Sherwood got the job at Aston Villa, who was the journalist we spoke to about Tim Sherwood? Sam Wallace. Sam Wallace. Um, which is not to say, I mean, it's not as though Tim Sherwood is making up his mind. It's not as though this is necessarily Tim Sherwood's decision. I would describe Tim Sherwood as someone close to the, deci- close to the decision mm. made by Camp Grealish. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think it may well be, uh, that, that may be coming to a halt. Which I think is what everyone here has expected for a while. Uh, he didn't seem that keen, really. Um, and I'm sure lots of Ireland fans are going to be, uh, well... He'll be up there with Thierry Henry on Twitter, you know, in terms of uh, every time you'll click on a tweet by him, you'll see at least some of the responses will be from Ireland fans, probably calling him Judas uh, <laughs> or whatever. In the same way that whenever Thierry Henry tweets something, you see some Ireland fans having a go. They haven't forgotten. They haven't forgiven. And that's the way it's going to be. But, you know, yeah. he at least he doesn't have to live here. so uh, So he'll probably... And his, you know, his trips home, which he used to make, or trips back to Ireland, I should say, might become less frequent. Might become uh, less You frequent. would imagine there. Louis van Gaal. Came. Well, Manchester United-Liverpool, I mean, this is the big game of the weekend. This is the big game, and it's on a, It's on at 5.30, which is quite unusual. Uh, for a long time, these games were played really early because it was figured that the feral fans of both teams couldn't be trusted to... These uh, animals couldn't possibly drink a few drinks and not beat the shite out of each other once they got to the stadium. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but apparently, that's that's all changed now. 5.30, Saturday evening kickoff. Uh, should, I should be clear I'm not calling Liverpool Man United fans animals who would beat the shadow of that would just would seem to have been the perception from above uh, hence the early start times no I'm glad we cleared that up Owen. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up but, uh, so, the, so 5.30 but the big news I mean the managers I suppose are going to be talking tomorrow about it but the, at the moment the news and you see it in all the uh, newspapers the Times are saying exclusive um, and maybe it was this morning, I don't know. I didn't see. It. I didn't see all the websites this morning, but the others are all catching up, saying, "Oh, this is happening." Uh, that a delegation of senior players confronted Louis van Gaal over the training methods. So, uh, uh, Matt Dickinson has written an accompanying piece in the Times, uh, where he says uh, a Premier League coach was scouting Manchester United match recently, trying to work out what it was about Louis van Gaal's team that didn't seem right. He thought about, the, thought about the formation, pondered the tactics, considered the ponderous passing, but then realised that the answer was nothing technical. The problem was that Manchester United's players did not look like they were enjoying themselves. They looked inhibited, unhappy in their work. The rival coach recognised, and the revelation that senior players had gone to Van Hal to make that complaint confirms his observation of a disgruntled camp. <laughs> so I wonder who that was. I wonder who that rival coach was. Um... I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's tough to speculate. Matt Dickinson was one of the writers who wrote the uh, pieces about Brendan Rodgers that came out. Remember the ones, um, the big ones, just before the last yes, Manchester United when he match. Was, 
talking about his. Oh, well, sorry, well, he wasn't talking about any, no, nobody was talking about anything. But it, it, was, it was someone close it, to Rogers. It was revealed that Brendan Rogers spent a lot of time late at night making tea and toast for himself yeah. at five in the morning while planning new amazing systems to bewitch his opponent. He, he resurrected this, the the season, but unfortunately, then there, whole, there turned out to be a whole third section of the season in which Liverpool once again fell away. Now, I, I'm not suggesting it was Brendan Rogers. It's just a rival coach. Um, but it's it's more a question of what are the merits of that case. It's interesting, isn't it? Because to be honest, this is exactly the same stuff that people were saying when David Moyes was the manager. You know what I mean? This is exactly the same inhibited, oh, rigid tactics. You know, if, if you look at these stories, you'll see. We, and again, we're going to talk to Richie about it. But you know, rigid tactical plan. Feel like we're in a straitjacket. This is exactly what it is. What yeah. it was I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that's exactly the same. And and uh, I mean, nobody would say that the football, uh, you know, in the in the technical sense, is similar to what Moyes was trying to do. What, what you know, Moyes' problem almost was was he didn't couldn't necessarily agree on the style. You know, Rio Ferdinand said, you know, sometimes he'd be like, "Oh, lads, we want six hundred passes," and sometimes he'd be like, "Oh, get it up to the you know, get it in the box." Uh, stick it in the mixer. Whereas Van, with Van Hal, everyone knows, okay, we're, we want to just pass and pass and, and the opponent is going to drift off, you know, doze, doze off and we'll score. Um, but it's this same complaint of, a, of an unhappy camp, of some, something missing, some kind of, some indefinable element of zest or vitality has left uh, the players. And I suppose the, the implication of the story is that it's the manager's fault. Yeah. I don't know, though. I mean, when it keeps happening with different managers, very different managers, at what point do you turn around and say, hang on a second, like, who, whose fault is it that you're miserable? Is it really his fault that this, you know... They've no. gone for both sides of Alex Ferguson, well, two of the many sides of Alex Ferguson, in replacing Alex Ferguson. The Dara Scott, mm. working class guy, uh, you know, uh, brought himself up, old, old value, old football value kind of man. Mm. Then they've gone for the full ego... Full on Napoleon complex. Yeah, Louis um, Van Hal is ego, and uh, that isn't um, that hasn't worked out too well. Either. No, look, I mean, it's not. It's not doing, they're not doing too badly this season. I would have thought uh, it's only the start of the season. See how it goes. But it's this is a really interesting game now because it's another one of those games where the stakes are huge. Liverpool have a lot of these games at the start of the season. Their previous one, which. Um, uh, which was similar to this, was away to Arsenal. And they actually played very well. Um, one of the problems they have for this... Uh, I mean, they ended up drawing nil-nil, a game that they should have won, really, against a weakened Arsenal team. And that's the that's the thing that that you look at this Liverpool team at the moment and you think, is there really a, a killer instinct about this team? Um, one of the problems they have for the Manchester United game, which I think looks a very even game at the moment, is the absence of Philippe Coutinho, who obviously got sent off as uh, Liverpool lost their last, you know, complete disaster that they had in their last game, so he's suspended, uh, and that's a problem. He was their best player in the in the Arsenal match, um, so the Liverpool team is yet to really coalesce into anything. You can't, re- you don't know what to expect from them, but I do think that they have the potential to cause some problems here for Manchester United. A lot depends on their attitude. I mean, last season they went to Old Trafford and got hammered. David de Gea. Um, played brilliantly that day, if you remember. Saved uh, one-on-ones from Raheem Sterling. Um, David De Gea, is the, uh, Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid uh, chairman, once again talking about De Gea, um, talking Spanish radio, and his whole thing at the moment is trying to make it, trying to establish in the mind of David De Gea, and in the mind, I suppose, of his own supporters who are wondering what happened with that whole deal, that it was Manchester United's fault what happened. 
um, that they sabotaged this deal by, you know, filing the paperwork late. He says, um, uh, basically, on the Haya, he says, we have told him not to sign a new contract, but he has to do what's best for his career. It's very difficult that he does nothing for a year. When people say, wait for a year, then he comes free, that has never happened with any big player. So he's suggesting, he seems to be suggesting there that he sees De Gea signing a new contract with Manchester United. You can see why De Gea would do that. Um, Man United would say, here's a lot of money. Uh, here's here's a big pay rise. We can backdate it if you like. This will be a lot of money in your pocket. And the advantage for us is that when you leave, because it would be one of those types of contracts you imagine, like Luis Suarez, for instance, signed when he was you know, signed a new contract to Liverpool, but it was really just to specify the terms that he could leave under while also getting a big pay rise. Um, so that would be... Uh, that Perez seems to be saying he expects the head to do that. I think it's an interesting... It's an interesting dilemma. I mean, on the one hand, De Gea would be getting paid by Man United extra. He's making money there. Um, but Real Madrid, it's costing Real Madrid. They now have to pay Manchester United to sign him. Whereas if they got him for free, then David De Gea can say, well, you, you don't need to pay Man United. We'll cut out the middleman here. You can pay David De Gea, Inc. You know what I mean? Yeah. But whether or not uh, these deals work that way. It's hard, it's hard to know. It will be interesting if he does sign a new contract. Perez, I wouldn't have expected to hear him say he thinks he, he thinks it could happen. Maybe it will happen. Wayne Rooney? Uh, Rooney uh, obviously had broken the, the English scoring record uh, the other day. Uh, he's getting lots of plaudits. Uh, people like Gary Lineker. Evander know, Holyfield. Alan Shearer. Evan, Evander Holyfield? Yeah. What did he say? He retweeted somebody else who tweeted praise of Wayne Rooney's 50 goals. <laughs> Really, Evander Holyfield largely tweets about Evander Holyfield. Actually, that's that's not fair. But you know, you know, uh, retired sports people. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time, it's about their great moments. Yeah, uh, the boxers are the worst for really? the nostalgia. Maybe because they don't, they only have because you fight so few times compared to how many football matches you play. Each yeah. of them is seared in your consciousness, and there might only be four or five that were absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah himself and Lennox Lewis and these boys. So I just don't have to follow them if I, if I don't want to I hear suppose. about their former fights. Well, it's good that he admires Rooney. Rooney, of course, a former boxer himself. Uh, the best paid player in the league. Uh, king of English goal scoring. And, um, yeah, a big opportunity, I suppose, for him to get off the mark in the Premier League uh, this weekend. But also, uh, he's got big praise on from a, a big man, well, a little big man, in the Lionel Messi. Oh, yeah. Listen to this Messi interview from the mirror. It's like no Messi interview I've ever heard, I have to say. This is... Wayne Rooney is, for me, a once-in-a-generation player, says Lionel Messi. What? One of those special players who isn't comparable to any other. There are many special players, but Rooney has exceptional quality and technical ability, as well as being one of the strongest players I've faced, with an exceptional work rate. There's nobody like him, says Lionel Messi. Rooney's a winner. He will just be focused on success with England in the European Championship. I have always said the same is true of myself in Argentina. Breaking caps and goal records means nothing, unless they come with trophies. Like I say, Wayne is a winner. It will always be the team first and personal record second for him. <laughs> I'm like, really? That is... Uh, I don't know. Apparently, apparently Messi said this. I mean, who am I to doubt? Who am I to doubt the veracity of this story? <laughs> a, big, a big fan, for me, of Wayne Rooney. That's Anna Ketterly's Report on Sport. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did, actually. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible. But the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that.
In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, with one or two expletives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, well, I do. And that was it, with one or two expletives. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or seconds, and I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. there was some expletive used. We came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement there for you. And you've used the figure there. Well done to you. Richie Sadler has landed into us. Richie, how are you? Owen, how are you doing? Doing very well. I'm doing very well. Uh, but I'm disappointed. How are you? Well, the news today that Jack Grealish, the young starlet of English football, is going to be an England footballer, according to Sam Wallace in The Independent. I've been reading a lot of responses to this on Twitter Predictably, I guess, he's getting a lot of stick from Ireland fans for stringing us. Now, we're working off the assumption this story is true. There's no quotes attached to it, but it is a very reputable journalist in England and everyone else is basing their reports on his report. So if we take it as true, he's getting stick from Ireland fans for stringing us along and then choosing England in the end. Is that fair enough? I I, I don't know if I'd accuse him of of, of stringing us along. I think what, what he actually did is over a year ago, he said he'd take a year out. Um and that he would kind of return to international football around about now. I'm not surprised, first of all, if his decision is to go to play for England, and I would be I would be supportive of the decision. But without without knowing the specifics of what goes on between conversations between him, him, him and his agent, or him and his dad, him and Hodgson, him and O'Neill, or just him in his own mind as to what he wanted all these years when he before he became a footballer, as to which country he imagined he would play for. But if you looked at it totally objectively, so you forget the fact that you're born in either country that's in play here. If, if you were to poll the majority of the world football fans and say, would you like your home games for internationals to be in Wembley Stadium or the Aviva? Would you like to go play for a country that qualifies for virtually all the major tournaments and in the rare occasion when they don't, like it's seen as a catastrophe, or to a country that has the qualifying record that Ireland has? Like an overwhelming majority of people looking objectively at this, would pick England over us. And if you then throw in the argument, well, where is he going to, is he going to play or not? Every player has that. You, you, before you go to any club, sign for any manager, you always have an unknown as to whether you're going to play or not because when you sign or when you make a decision, you don't know the quality of the people you're up against to, to take your place in the team. No, so, but you do know that, in general, England are going to have a much higher quality of player than Ireland. So, ex- exactly. Yeah. So, so why, why wouldn't you... Back yourself. Why? 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 Why should the correct decision here be? Well, what if I'm not good enough? Why should? Why should it be based on the belief that mm, maybe I'm not actually that decent? Why not? I take the softer, easier that's route not, here. That's not. See, we the, don't know why he's done that. In, it has to be. It's not. I mean, what he should be saying. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, tell the lad what he should be doing. Mm-hmm. But, you're <laughs> but about for, in, to. for instance, Gareth Bale is not playing for Wales because. Oh, I don't know if I'm good enough to play for England. He would be the number one player in England's team, probably the, the captain of England and the biggest star in English football, but he plays for Wales. And his attitude wasn't, well, you know, I, I think I'm good enough to make it in the English team. It was, I think I'm good enough to drag Wales to an international tournament. But he was born in Wales and played all his football in Wales. It wasn't as though he was born in England, played for English underage teams and then made the switch to Wales. He didn't make a calculated decision where he thought, you know, I don't think I'm good enough for England. England are an option, but I'm going to choose Wales because I'm more likely to get my game. And Grealish, remember, is English-born. His family are are, are, are rooted there. So even if you to remove... 
you could you could make a case for all the commercial benefits of being an English over an Irish international, the tournament appearances of being one over the other, the status, the profile, all the other stuff. But if you removed all that and just brought it back to the personal stuff, like the family related stuff, you could really easily imagine the private conversations being like the emotional links would be to England. So that's why back to my original point was, well, this seems like is there any reason not to not to play for England? Is and the only reason is maybe a lack of confidence that you're that you're going to get in. Just back to Bale, though, Ken. Uh, you, you seem fixated on on this idea of Bale for England. Well, Bale is an interesting person to talk about uh, in this the discussion because uh, Gareth Bale's agent, Jonathan Barnett, who uh, <laughs> who you know he's he's one of these he's he's a if you saw him, you might be like, that guy might be a football agent. You know what I mean? Um, he is, I mean, I remember... Eric Hallstatt, has he got the big cigar? He, he's the kind of guy who might wear blue uh, sunglasses. I think I'm, I'm trying to, just trying to make sure I've never worn blue sunglasses. Uh, sil- silvery hair, uh, bald. Hang on, I've got almost all these tan. things. Well, no, not the deep tan. Um, I don't know if he's smoking cigars. He, he may or may not be. But look, I remember he... Uh, he he almost burst into tears at the time. It looked as though you know on Sky Sports News or whatever at the time. But it looked as though um, uh, Gareth Bale's transfer to Madrid was going to be sabotaged by Daniel Levy. You know, or did he was it Spanish radio that he went on? He was literally, you know, they're ruining the boy's life. <laughs> and he was like, he was an agent who was like uh, just about to be the agent on a world record transfer deal, and he saw it slipping through his fingers, and he was mm-hmm. he didn't like it. But it, this is what he had to say. He was talking. Uh, so he, he represents Bale. He also represents Grealish on, since relatively recently. Um, and he says, he's talking about Wales. It's an obsession for Bale. This is um, playing for Wales. Yeah. He loves playing for Wales more than anything in the world. I'll tell you, it has cost him millions and millions of pounds. You can imagine what it would be like if he was playing for England next summer. Playing on the international stage is so important if you want to win the Ballon d'Or and to get, get to a major championship will be memorable. So... I mean, this is this is uh, his way of looking at the world. This is the the main counselor on the career of Jack Grealish, is a man who of nakedly materialistic priorities. But it's not untrue in what he's saying. What he's saying is is it, true. It's it not untrue. It, he's right to say that being a Wales international as opposed to an English, put to one side whether he was ever going to be or whether he could be, he's right to say that commercially it's it's. It's a decision that's cost him millions. Mm. It has cost him millions, but of what relevance is that? I mean, it's, it's got nothing to do with anything. It's like Jonathan Barnett can only see in one, one dimension, which is money. It's like literally the only thing he thinks about. I mean, you see, they said, and to get to a major championship will be memorable. To get to a major championship with Wales will be the highlight of Gareth Bale's football career. It will be the biggest thing that he does. I was there, I saw Gareth Bale win the Champions League. Bigger than winning for, the Champions League. Playing for Wales in playing for Wales in the European Championship will be bigger than winning the Champions League for Gareth Bale. Absolutely. Based because, on based on the fact that it's, they lose every it's, game in the finals as opposed to winning the Champions League final with Real Madrid. Where, where do you think in ten years Gareth Bale is going to look back and say that was a bigger deal? Because Gareth Bale, I, I think he absolutely will. He absolutely will. Rather than, you know, being on Cristiano Ronaldo's team that won the Champions League. I know Bale's, <laughs> Bale scored an important goal in the final, but come on, you know. 
He won. Cristiano, Cristiano he won Ronaldo. the chat. He won the chat. Don't don't diminish the achievement Cristiano just because Ronaldo. the press are obsessed with one particular player on the squad. Seventeen goals. He scored seventeen goals in the in the Champions League. So Ronaldo. it devalues the medal that all his teammates won because they didn't just, do just, as much as Ronaldo did. Well, it's great. It's great to win a trophy. But you know, he's won trophies. He won the Spanish Cup. Whatever. I'm sure he'll win the league. Uh, he won the Champions League, but it was really Ronaldo who, who got them there. <laughs> Whereas. If Wales, when Wales go to Euro 2016 and Bale leads out Wales, maybe scores for them in the time, all these Welsh guys who have never been to a major tournament and may never go again, that is going to be... Cristiano Ronaldo can't take that away from Do me. sportsmen <laughs> actually think like that, though? I mean, you're talking about sports people thinking only about the glory, but there is a materialism to virtually every sports person. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the this is the sort of disappointing thing. This is why I wonder if some of them need to take a step back, stop listening to people like Jonathan Barnett. Um, and one of the one of the things, the really interesting thing I saw uh, just over the weekend was this Oliver Holt interview with Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah. Um, Johnny Wilkinson is uh, obviously a former rugby player, and he is now, and he he was always an extremely introspective. Uh, person even as a player and he kind of turned this onto his game and uh, you know it was part of why he kind of reached the level that he did I think but now he's like a former rugby player and you know we we see a lot of people who are kind of who are quite satisfied to play that role you know what I mean it's like well of course I'm a former I am yeah you know I mean everyone can think of these oh there's a living I mean there's there's a living there oh you you can make you can make a living as a former player yeah it's not just rugby I mean it's 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 in all all of these big sports Um, so what does what does one say Uh, you know I would have said if you'd asked me um, what I was describe yourself I would have said I'm a rugby player I love training hard tackling I want to be this I want to be that I want to play for England Um, now he's I feel like I'm breaking apart in that I'm going towards somewhere where my answer will be massively in the spiritual and philosophical, but it's not there yet. All I know is that I don't feel any worth in saying I was a rugby player and played 18 years as a professional, and I played there and I won this. So he's kind of like, this isn't this isn't really good enough for him, like this kind of you know, identity as a former player who turns up on like Sky Sports or whatever. He says, the easy route for me is a materialistic route. It's the way everyone goes. It's how can I leverage what I've been through in order to go somewhere? This is the battle everyone faces. You have one side of you that's aware of that side of things, that deeper, more permanent thing. He's talking about, you know, <laughs> the other things about life, apart from just grabbing money. Uh, then you've got the other side, which is constantly nagging at you to say, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be cool if we could get that or this, th- if this guy knew my name? That's what everyone faces. So he's kind of like, he's like, I want to understand this about what it means to be here, you know, living here on this planet. What am I doing here? You know, am I am I about like going around being a kind of celebrity, getting paid, you know, easy money to do this, or do I actually want to understand something about the nature of my life on Earth? I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> Who even asks themselves this these days? I thought this was brilliant. Yeah. But obviously, you know, Jack Grealish. I don't know if he asks himself these questions, and I don't think Jonathan Barnett's asking him these questions. You read the Wilkinson piece? I did. What did you think? I thought it was fascinating. Um, because he spoke very openly. I, I don't think, first of all, that some of the things he spoke about are that rare. Like, that struggle with the draw towards the materialistic stuff. Should, not, a, not even a struggle. It's an obvious route for most of us. Mm. But it's, it's, it's the thing that we would unthinkingly do. It's like, well, obviously, that's what I'm going to I mean, what else am I going to do? i could pay my bills. Do you really need to pay quite so many bills? Though? No, I need to pay the bills. But he, he was talking, and the, 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 the bit that jumped out, one of, the, one of the many interesting bits I found in it was when he was talking about that, that, that kind of phase where you're going from being a, a, 
the player to being a former player and the transition between one to the other and how you negotiate that and, and kind of how you see yourself or how, how other people see yourself. And you made several references to the mirror. Yeah. Didn't he? He said, you know, you, yeah, I became more and more confused uh, by my appearance. I become more and more confused when I look in the mirror. Uh, what does he say here? Because I'm starting less and less to buy into it, as in his, his image, of what he sees, I guess. I start to see changes, but not just changes as I'm getting older, changes that are taking me further away from the idea that I am my appearance or my body. I see it as a shell. Yeah, because when you're an athlete, you, like, it, it's your body is the thing you're totally relied on. And I remember that. Like, when, when, when you're injured or when you're trying to recover from injury, it's this, like, raging conflict in your head between, like, your body and your mind. One is not doing what the other one wants you to do. And then, so so it's this central thing. Like you can talk about all the different things you get from being a, a player or having a, a career in sport, but it's driven by your body or your ability to get your body to do the things you want. So when he's come out of that now, um, he's now looking, I, I, I was really open. Like I, I, I went through a similar thing, but I, I, I asked all those questions like in private with a psychologist on a weekly basis. I didn't speak about them publicly to, to, a, to a newspaper, Holt. to Oliver Holt. No, but it's, you, you, you kind of do go to the, that, that phase, you, go, well, you know, the existential stuff, like what the hell's it all about? What am I doing here? What am I going to do now? What should I be doing? What will I enjoy? Or, or all those things. It's, I, I wouldn't say it's a common enough thing, but it's, um, so it's when you come out of a career like that where things are so bizarre and so kind of lopsided, um, unlike so many other areas that you're going to go into, um, it does throw you. And, it, and and the transition out of it then can be fairly traumatic for a lot of people. You seem most struck by the fact that, not that it's surprising that people have to wrestle with their identity after retiring, but that there's such a conflict in just going and taking the sort of easy money that Johnny Wilkinson talks about. Well, he well just to, I mean, most people wouldn't even question. That. They'd be like, well, obviously, I mean. Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, if you got the opportunity to do that, like, why wouldn't you do that? Mm. He's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, uh, that's why I just think, you know, and I sort of bring it back to Barnett or something like that. This the idea, like, this guy is a, is a major, I wouldn't say a major power broker in the game, but you know, he's he's an influential figure. You know, he, there's there's some big players who are associated with him, and this is kind of what this is just the direction that he's driving them in. You know what I mean? It's That's like, every agent, though, presumably. Is, is it? it? I don't I, know if it I, is. I'm not saying, and I don't, I don't, I don't buy into this thing that agents are the scourge of the game. Some of them probably are, but I don't doubt that they're necessary in a lot of cases, and I'm sure there are good ones who, who look out for more than just the money. But but it's their job, too, sure? because if you're, if, you're a, if you're a player, like I, I don't remember being a kid associating with a career of a footballer with wealth. I, I just don't remember in, in the 80s, any time I saw football commentary or listened to pundits, or reading newspapers. I don't know how much reading of newspapers I did like when I was eight or nine, but it, it, there wasn't a, 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 that... And I'll, you can't talk about football now without someone mentioning money. That's because, there, that's because there are a lot There's more so wealthy. much in it, but that it's, dom- totally it's true, dominated really. the coverage. But in, in... So when I was... Italy 90, I was 11, or when watching... It was the first division games back then, I was read, buying Shoot magazine. I don't remember reading articles where players' wages were published or or... Or conversations like this, agents' comments weren't published at all. Mm. So, you, 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 like, you need you need someone because there is so much money. If you don't have an agent, if you don't have somebody who's looking after the other thing, we'll assume all players come to the table with a love of playing football, and they have some kind of an understanding of what will make them happy, whatever that is. And then you need someone who's going to look after the commercial stuff and be hard nosed about it and be able to stand up to maybe public ridicule. 
by by coming out and, and, and actually making the point that commercially there's a big difference between choosing A or B. Now, you need to be aware of what the commercial difference is and make an informed choice. But you need that information. It would be reckless of you not to have that information. So I'd agree with you. Agents aren't all discouraged. Some of them are absolute maggots. I've met a lot of them. <laughs> but some of them are excellent as well. But all players need them because if clubs didn't consistently, year after year, take every opportunity to shaft players then the, the, the importance of agents wouldn't have emerged years ago. Good story this morning from Daniel McDonnell in the Irish Independent uh, about Shamrock Rovers, who he says have written to RTE to inform the national broadcaster, this is from the piece, that they would prefer if they didn't show any of the remaining home games for the rest of the season on TV because they feel live coverage is costing them, ten, uh, sorry, costing them thousands of euro, which is, uh, on the face of it, it seems... I suppose if you are losing money, then you're not going to necessarily want it. But it, it seems self-defeating for a team in a league that's always talking about the publicity that they need to ask the national TV station not to show their matches. It, it's not a new thing, and they're not alone in having that view. Um, it's probably the first time they've expressed it in writing and sent it to the FAI. I don't remember a club doing that before. But when I was involved in Pats in 08 and 09, we, we, the clubs we would regularly meet... Um, there was often a varied agenda and each time we met but well, one of the things that would keep coming up was this idea that how how is TV exposure benefiting us and and some people would, would just look no more beyond self-interest they would say well listen we got 1200 when the TV cameras aren't there we get 900 when they're there do the maths we don't want them there and others would, would take the bigger view and say well when we approach sponsors we bring with them the figures from the TV audiences. We, we, we mentioned the amount of times that MNS, as it was back then, is on, or, or the viewing figures. And the advertising boards, we can sell more, we, we can get more for, because the TV cameras are there. The, the sponsors on the jerseys will get more for. So there was this, this, this conversation, and it was, it's the same conversation that is relevant today. All those things are still in play. But on a wider thing, if you want to promote a sport or a competition in any sport... TV can play a massive role in that. So it, it just kind of, I don't know whether it, 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 it reveals like where the league is, um, that, that, that the clubs wouldn't want the thing to be televised because of their own little self-interest. Like Celtic had it. I, I did the Celtic-Malmo game recently for RTE and just reading up about the, 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 the TV issues and all that in Scottish football. They get two million a year from their TV deal. And Peter Lall, the CEO of Celtic, said it would be better financially for them if they weren't part of that TV deal. Because in moving the fixtures from the Saturday 3 o'clock to whatever other time suits TV, their attendance drops by more than a value of £2 million per year. So financially, it costs them being part of yeah, the TV deal. Uh, yeah. So it's not a uniquely League of Ireland thing here. Well, well inter- interestingly, there was a line in Dan's piece that I was somewhat surprised by. League of Ireland members do not receive compensation when their games are picked for TV exposure, uh, which is, is a source of major frustration among the leading outfits. I'm sure that's mm-hmm. something that came up when you were with Pats as well. So essentially, say Rovers in this case, can be in a situation where sometimes at reasonably short, short notice they're told your game is going to be uh, on TV this Friday night. Um, so there you go. You can't say no. You're not. Uh, you, you're not going to get any extra compensation for it, and you're going to lose uh, lose uh, a certain amount of money off the gate. Particularly, apparently, for the earlier kickoffs, they say their seven oh five kickoffs are tough ones to get to for people from work to get to, to Tala. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It just seems the the even for the club alone, they should want to be as exposed as possible on television. Maybe just take that hit. Unless you're really just not backing yourself to get any new fans into the club. Because the only way to get new fans in mm. is 
to show your show your game, especially you, know, you sign the likes of Damien Duff, for example. Yeah, surely you want to show that guy playing for your club. Well, they can turn they can turn around and look at the figures. If, again, put yeah. your mind in 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 the the mind say of a club CEO or a board of directors, and they'll have all the figures in front of them. So we've been televising games for X amount of years now. Look at our attendances. Look at our sponsorship revenue, and if they don't see an explicit link between one and the other, that they'll turn around and say, "But listen, it's wrong to say." Televising these games brings more people or raises sponsorship. They'll have the conceptually. It, it yeah. seems like that should happen, but yeah, it necessary. I mean that w- that does happen to a certain extent. The question is to what you know. It, is it going to be significant? I mean, the idea of you know you're you're being broadcast on national TV for a couple of hours on Friday night or whenever. That has a value, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so you're not you're not getting necessarily paid. Like Diane mentions, for instance, a figure of ten thousand euros. In terms of that's what they reckon the loss of ticket revenue. So they, they're making 10,000 euros roughly less per game when they're on TV because that, that number of people don't turn up. So it's a question of balancing this apparent financial loss against what do you think it's worth to get that kind of exposure. Maybe it's not worth 10,000 euros. Again, it depends. It, it, like if it's your season ticket holders which are deciding to stay away, then that's not costing you because... They've spent their season, right? You might miss out on program sales or burgers or, or, or cans of coke or whatever. But um, there, there are many reasons why people don't go to League of Ireland games, and many reasons why they do. And I think it's it's sometimes too simplistic to say that it's the presence of the TV cameras is the deciding factor. Yeah. Sometimes, and and it's the kind of thing that I suppose league fans wouldn't want to hear. Sometimes televising some of the games does more damage. Like sometimes bringing a TV camera to some of the stadiums. And showing some of the football on some of the pitches is a damaging thing. Because sometimes, like any competition, the standard is awful. So the the, the, the cost, the, there is a cost, I don't know what the figures are. I don't know what it costs TG Carra or RT or whoever to go out and set up all the, the, the cameras in the outside broadcasting units, set up the studio and all that. So the TV companies are covering that cost. Um, but again, I don't know what... The clubs want do they want someone to come in pay all the costs and in addition pay them for a product where if you add up the amount of people who are interested in it i still think this league is punching massively over its weight in terms of the coverage it gets in national media if you were factoring the amount of people who are interested in it and by interested i mean watch the damn thing i mean i i wonder about this story just in terms of where where it's coming from i mean i don't i don't seriously believe the chamber robbers don't want to be on tv well, no, they want to be on TV. They want to be on TV, but they just don't want to take the hit, financial the, hit. I think the I think the point of this is to is to draw a bit of attention to the terms. You know what I mean? To try, I think they would like a better deal. Essentially, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and this, that you know, I don't I don't really see it as oh, you know, t- take us off the television, take your cameras away, because in fact, it's not really the the actual problem they have isn't so much that people go oh. This game is on TV, therefore I will sit on my couch and watch this game on TV. Mm. It's better than the match day experience. <laughs> it's no, it's a, it's they're, they're switching the game to seven o'clock on Friday night, and everyone has to get out to Tala through the. I mean, have you ever tried driving up that that road at that time? Okay, so people are, people are just like, oh no, and that's so it's actually wedged the, into a Lewis. This, if if they could, if they could maybe if the TV times 
uh, didn't inconvenience everyone. Maybe this issue wouldn't arise. But I honestly think the, the the purpose of this story appearing is to say, well, you know, how are we in a situation where we don't get any compensation? Seriously? You know, I mean, TV is paying football all over the world, apart from here. Here, TV is saying, oh, you should be thanking us. You should be thanking us for being on TV. It's not the way it works in other, other countries. Big Premier League fixture at the weekend, Richie, is the Manchester United-Liverpool game. And our weekly Louis van Gaal chat today will yes. centre around the fact that apparently the leading players, Wayne Rooney and Michael Carrick, uh, being the two have been named, according to multiple reports in the UK media. I don't know why I'm speaking like a news bulletin here. Multiple reports. Multiple, multiple sources uh, in the British media. Wayne Rooney and uh, his vice-captain, Michael Carrick, stormed into the uh, <laughs> office there at Carrington and said, listen, Louis van Gaal, this training is nonsense. You're, you're making us do all these drills. We don't like doing that. We like a bit of five-a-side. We don't like training. We like days <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Give us days off. So essentially, they said it's too regimented. That's the word that keeps popping up. Um, is that... First of all, fair enough if the players think that to actually go to the manager with it. Oh, that's nothing new. I mean, it probably happens all the time. All the time. People listen, we're playing too much time doing set pieces. It's boring. It's 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 monotonous. Can we just play five sides? You cross and shoot. And there isn't a football squad heads in the world. Yeah, heads are, like football is is at most fun when you're just belting the ball at a goal. So you don't lose that. Keep, just keep, be, keep your uppies. Yeah, all idea. of that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so you don't lose that just because you become an adult and, and you get paid to do it. But it's it's interesting as to how that leaked to the media. I, I, I think if it's if it's a three way conversation between Rooney Carrick and Louis Van Hal, like how how are we finding out about that? Like who 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 would have decided to leak that? Um it's nothing new, it's no I don't think it's any well, big deal. I mean, a few Man United players just got back from playing with England, didn't they? I mean, time was, Owen, when uh Manchester United players would go away with England. Wouldn't have happened in Fergie's day. Do you, yeah, do you remember that? Uh, and, and Philip Neville told a story. So, no. so Someone was complaining. Was it David James? Yes, it yes. was David James. James yeah. was complaining. Oh, you know, we all used to go in with England and we'd sit down and, uh, you know, I'd be bitching about like all the stuff that was happening at whichever club he was at, you know, Liverpool or, or West Ham or whatever. And, uh, you know, everyone would kind of do this. And then the Man United players would just be sitting there going, oh, yeah, everyone's good. <laughs> they just, just smile and nod and go, yeah. Giving I mean, nothing back. Yeah. Just boring, smug, insular Manchester United players refusing to give anything away. Maybe they've loosened up a little bit. Who knows? Maybe they're, they're out like there with the England team and it's like, hey, yeah, well, I went in there and I told Louis Van Hal. Well, you know, I've gone too far there. I don't know if that's how <laughs> Well, interestingly, Van Hal last week was talking about the image of him as a dictatorial coach. He said it's quite the opposite. I'm always talking to Wayne, especially, and I'm always talking to my players. Is there a way that you can a manager can convince themselves that they are quite open to debate when really they're not? If you know what I mean, that like, there could be it's like the classic Roy Keane uh, explanation in his book of the METV uh, incident, and he said, "I gathered everyone around. You know, we watched the video. And I said, has anyone got a problem?'" And it's like, well, no, Roy, we're not going to, if we do, we're not going to, do you know what I mean? Like that, right, that Van right. Hal, I was Van Hal can say. When, I, when, yeah. when I, I was at Sunderland, when Keane arrived and, and we, all, we were all brought into a room and Keane gave his kind of introductory speech and it was, it was just, as happens when any manager comes into any club, he kind of pitches how he thinks it's going to go under his regime yeah. and, and, he, and he promotes whatever his values are or how he thinks things should be done and he kept using the phrase raise the bar so we're going to raise the bar here and here and here raise the bar raise the bar umpteen times and he also said like forget what you may think you know about me like there's my office over there and the door is always open if you have a problem come into me 
just talk to me and that's how we work things out openness communication all of this no one went near him and the people <laughs> that did didn't get any success at all so it was it's you can say one thing and you can you can promote some side if you want like Van Halley's because there's a lot of reports saying that he is not the open welcoming mm. inclusive man that he claims to be so probably having a bit of crack by trying to claim that he is. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, there's a lot that, there's a lot you can do making a report like this. I've no doubt that this report is based on something that actually happened. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the Gospels are based on something that actually happened. You know, I mean, <laughs> to what extent did it happen this way is the question. So you can you can do a lot with words like confront. Yeah. Right. Knocking on it, the door and walking in. You know, yeah. Does it mean to sit in front of over a desk and, and talk about stuff, or does it mean to you know confront? Suggests that you kind of went in oh, all guns blazing and had a go. Um, maybe that's not quite how this the tone of this meeting. You know what I mean? So, Richie, yeah. do you want to give us a prediction before you step out the door there for Liverpool Man United? Uh, Man United win. That's all you get. No, no score prediction. Okay, two 0 All right, we'll leave it at that. Richie, brilliant. Thank you. See you, lads. Air dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Your own prediction, Ken? Um, well, I think Man United's record against Liverpool at Old Trafford is, is pretty good. Um, and it's just hard, it's so hard to know, really. It's just Liverpool is such a new team at the moment. I can't, I don't have any kind of real baseline expectation for them yet. You know what I mean? They they flopped obviously in the in the last game against West Ham, but against Arsenal they were very good. You know what I mean? They should they they made a mess of that game. They should have won the game. Uh, and if they play as they did against Arsenal, then I think I don't think they're going to lose. You but seem. I don't. Know, I don't. I can't say. So that draw. I'll go for. A, I'll go for a score draw. You um, seem to be on a campaign here to have Real Madrid players all give their medals back to Cristiano Ronaldo. That he should essentially get all the medals for the Champions League triumph. May I remind you, Ken, that about fifteen minutes before uh, Ronaldo stripped off his top after finally scoring a goal in that game and making himself useful, yeah. Gareth Bale had been the man heading the decisive scoring goal. Scoring the winning goal. Yes, the one that actually mattered. Yeah. So I, do, I don't understand the argument that, well, that's Ronaldo's team, so what, what happy memories is Gareth Bale going to have that day? Yeah, I mean, it was a big, it was a big night. It was, it was uh, a big occasion. I just feel that with Bale bringing Wales... Yeah, he does look... And he lo- he, does seem to love it. I mean, that's what the, his agent was saying in in the midst of all that. That look, this guy absolutely adores. But you can you can tell it. You know by the way he plays for them. You know by the way they celebrate with them. Even yeah. the header last week. It's just they, there seems to be a really good relationship there. And fair as there seems to be with Robbie Keane and, and the Irish players. I think when you have a superstar like that, you have a guy that's above your level. In in Robbie Keane's case, in one very specific way. In Bale's case, in every single every, every conceivable way, it'd be pretty stupid not to. Love the guy, and he he seems to feed off that. Oh, he does. He likes and to be liked. I think Garbett. Yeah, he does. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that sometimes is is awkward for him at Real Madrid. The fact that <clears throat> he doesn't necessarily get that much respect um, from the fans who are quick to sort of turn on him. That will never happen with Wales. <clears throat> you know, the Welsh fans love love it. I mean, in with Real Madrid, like he scored that winning goal in the Champions League final. Then he went away for the summer. Then he came back and, and there was a photograph of him in training looking like an absolute Terminator. I don't know if you remember. He just mm-hmm. looked like an absolute beast, you know, f- physically. So he's he's kind of 
training really hard, loving his football, excited about the new season, comes back, has a few bad games in a row, and suddenly they're all like, why have we got this lunk in our team? You know, we, we'll, will anybody buy this lunk? And this is this is like, you know, this, the press talking about him, the, the fans kind of, ugh, every time he something doesn't come off from a game, you can hear this whole stadium go, Jesus. You know, I mean, you, you must be looking around thinking, I can't, just the ingratitude of these people is just <laughs> beyond belief. You know, okay, people are trying to say, look, that's just the way it is. All you need to do is play well, score goals. You know, they'll they'll come back. But it's just a fickleness. There's something about it that that must make you a little bit cynical about it. You know. Well, also, I mean? his argument is, I, I would say, in his own head, is, look, how can I score all the goals you want me to score when you, I cannot do that with this man in the team. Yeah. And you love him. You want him to score the goals. So let's be honest. Unless you want us both to score sixty goals in a season, yeah, which is that would impossible. be great. Yeah, that say. would be great. I'd say. But you know, with Wales, it's never going to happen. Wales, that it's it's like, and and it's such a big thing for the country. I mean, for the entire sport of football in the country, which remember is like the, is like the the undersized. Mm. You know, bullied, put upon sport mm. of uh, in this rugby-dominated, you know, rugby triumphalist country, and you've got Bale and and all these all these Welsh footballers who have been, who you know, nobody can remember the nineteen fifty. Who can remember the nineteen? Not many people can remember the nineteen fifty-eight World Cup. The last time Wales were at one of Is these. Is this Ken Early or Ken Burley speaking to me at the moment? Burley. Okay, Ken oh, Burley's back. Look, all I'm, yeah. I mean, I I I, I love Welsh football, Owen. I, I'm a, I've always been a lover of Welsh football. Uh, John Charles, of course. <laughs> Neville Southall. Gentle Giant, yeah. Big Nev. Uh, Big Nev. Rushy. Husey. Sparky. Uh, John Toshak. Big John. A lot of big players, actually. <laughs> and Big Garrett Bale. And so uh, I just think it's, it's, there's something about it which is... I think it's going to be a more special experience. A more special experience for Garrett Bale. If you've got time to listen to our latest podcast, you should do because it features Donald McRae, one of the great sports writers who's just brought out a brilliant new book about Emil Griffith. He was a legendary boxer from the 60s. Well, actually, late 50s into the 70s, I think, by the time he retired. He fought, unfortunately, like a lot of them, uh, fought way too often in the end. But he was most famous for killing a man in the ring after his opponent had taunted him about his homosexuality in the pre-fight build-up. Now, we're talking early 1960s here when... Men didn't talk about these things, and certainly world champion boxers didn't uh, reveal these things to the public. So it's a lot going on there. There's a lot of the stories about Griffith trying to come to terms with taking the life of another man, but also come to terms with being gay in the uh, ultimate macho sport of pro boxing. You can listen to that one through whatever means you listen to this one. I guess you can also follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. If you want to rate us or comment on the podcast on iTunes, please do so. Apparently that... That helps, Ken. I don't know exactly what it helps, but I'm just told it helps, okay? So just do it first. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.